We come again to our personal reading of Christianity Through the Centuries, a history of the Christian Church by Earl E. Carnes, and in this recording we will be reading chapter 14. The section is titled The Supremacy of the Old Catholic Imperial Church, 313 to 590 AD. Chapter 14. The Christianity of the Cloisters. Throughout history, men have renounced society in times of worldliness and institutionalism and have retired into solitude to achieve personal holiness by contemplation and asceticism apart from the society they believe to be decadent and doomed. During the period of the gradual internal decay of the Roman Empire, monasticism made a powerful appeal to many who renounced society for the cloister. This movement had its origins in the 4th century, and laymen, in increasing numbers, retired from the world from that time on. By the end of the 6th century, monasticism had deep roots in the western, as well as in the eastern sections of the church. A second era of greatness for monasticism occurred in the monastic reforms of the 10th and 11th centuries. The era of friars in the 13th century was a third period, and the emergence of the Jesuits in the Counter-Reformation of the 16th century constituted the final period in which monasticism deeply affected the Church. Its countercultural movement still has an important place within the life of the Roman Catholic Church. Roman numeral 1. The Causes of Monasticism Several influences contributed to the rise of monasticism within the ancient Church. The dualistic view of flesh and spirit with its tendency to consider flesh evil and spirit good so characteristic of the Orient, influenced Christianity through the Gnostic or Neoplatonic movements. Retirement from the world would, it was thought, help the individual to crucify the flesh and to develop the spiritual life by meditation and ascetic acts. One should also remember that some scriptures seem to support the idea of separation from the world. Paul's apparent advocacy of the celibate life in 1 Corinthians 7 is a case in point. The early church fathers, such as Origen, Cyprian, Tertullian, and Jerome, urged celibacy as the correct interpretation of such scriptures. Certain psychological tendencies strengthened the desire for a monastic life. For a monastic life, in periods of crisis, there is always a tendency to retreat from the harsh realities about one. The late 2nd and 3rd centuries saw the beginning of civil disorder that was to become so prevalent in the later history of the empire. Many left society for the monastery as a means of escape from harsh reality and the moral contamination of the times. With the union of the church, with the union of church and state, the possibility of martyrdom was lessened. But those who desired martyrdom as a pledge of their faith could find psychological substitute in the ascetic practices of monasticism. Monasticism also offered a more individualistic approach to God and salvation than the formal corporate worship of the times. History also played a part in the decision of many to accept the life of the cloister. The increasing number of barbarians crowding into the church brought many semi-pagan practices within the church, and puritanical souls revolted against them. The increasing moral deterioration, especially in the upper classes in Roman society, caused many to despair of social reform. Monasticism became a haven for those who in revolt against the growing decadence of the times. 
It was a living criticism of the society of the day. Geography merits some consideration as a factor responsible for the rise of monasticism. It would have been much more difficult to carry on the monastic life in areas where the climate was more severe than in Egypt, where the monastic life had its beginnings. The warm, dry climate and the multitude of caves in the hills along the bank of the Nile were conducive to separation of the individual from society. Small gardens along with the resources of food provided by the nearby Nile made securing of food by the individual fairly easy. Nearness to the desolate, forbidding scenery to the, de- to the desert stimulated meditation. Roman numeral 2. The Development of Monasticism Monasticism went through the four four main stages during the period of its emergence in Western civilization. At first, ascetic practices were carried on by many within the church, and many later withdrew from society to live as anchorites, or hermits. The holiness of these hermits attracted others, who would then take up residence in nearby caves and look to them for leadership in what was called a lora. A cloister for common exercises might be built, In the final stage, organized communal life with a monastery appeared. This process had its beginnings in the East in the 4th century, and from there it spread to the church in the West. Heading A. In the East. Anthony, circa 251 to circa 356, is usually regarded as the founder of monasticism. At the age of 20, he sold all his possessions, gave the money to the poor, and retired to a solitary cave in Egypt to lead a life of meditation. His life of holiness gave him such reputation that others also went to live near him in numerous caves that were not far from his habitation. He never organized these followers into a community, rather he practiced the ascetic life of a hermit in his own cave. An atheist wrote Anthony's biography, The Life of Anthony. Not all the hermit monks were as sane as Anthony and his followers. One known as Simon the Stylite, 390-459, after having lived buried up to his neck in the ground for several months, decided to achieve holiness by becoming an ecclesiastical, quote-unquote, pole sitter. He spent over 30 years on the top of a 60-foot pillar near Antioch. Others lived in fields and grazed grass after the manner of cattle. A certain Ammon had a particular reputation for sanctity because he had never undressed or bathed after he became a hermit. Another wandered naked in the vicinity of Mount Sinai for 50 years. These, however, were only the fanatic fringe of the movement and were to be bound in the East more than in the West. The communal or social type of monasticism, often called Cenobite monasticism, also made its appearance first in Egypt. Pocomius, 290-346, a discharged soldier after living 12 years with a hermit, organized the first monastery about 320 at Tibanesi, on the east bank of the Nile. He soon had several thousand monks under his direct control in Egypt and Syria, Simplicity of life, work, devotion, and obedience were the keynotes of his organization. Basil of Caesarea, 330-79, did much to popularize the communal type of monastic organization. Having had an excellent education in Athens and Constantinople at the age of 27, he he gave up worldly advancement for the ascetic life. 
He was made a bishop of a large area of Cappadocia in 370, a post he held until his death. He gave a more utilitarian or social expression to the monastic spirit by insisting that the monks under his rule pray, read the Bible, and perform good deeds. He discouraged extreme asceticism. The monasticism of the church in Eastern Europe today owes much of much to the rule that he developed for the guidance of his monks. More and more people were swept into the movement until there were nearly a hundred monasteries in Europe at the ascension of Justinian to the throne of the Eastern Empire. Heading B. In the West. Monasticism in the West differed considerably from the East. The colder climate made communal organization much more essential in order that warm buildings and food might be provided. Monasticism was also much more practical in its expression. It rejected idleness and deplored purely ascetic acts. Work as well as devotion was emphasized. Athanasius is traditionally credited with the introduction of monasticism to the West during one of his periodic, periodic exiles from Alexandria. Pilgrims to Palestine came in contact with it there in in Syria and were attracted to it. Martin of Tours, Jerome, Augustine, and Ambrose wrote in favor of it and helped to popularize it within the Roman Empire. Jerome's writings on asceticism ranked next to the Bible and Benedict's rule in the medieval monk's library. The greatest leader of Western monasticism was Benedict of Nursia, 480-543. Shocked by the vice of Rome, he retired to live as a hermit in a cave in the mountains east of Rome, about 500 AD. About 529, he founded the monastery of Monte Cassino, which survived until World War II, and when it was destroyed by bombardment. Soon several monasteries were under his control, and following his plan of organization, work, and worship, that is, his rule, Each monastery was considered a self-sufficient, self-supporting unit of garrison of, of the soldiers of Christ. The day was divided into periods in which reading, worship, and work had important roles. The regulations that Benedict drew up provided little meat for the monks, but allowed plenty of fish, oil, butter, bread, vegetables, and fruit in their diet. This rule, which emphasized poverty, chastity, and obedience, was one of the most important in the Middle Ages. By the 7th century, he was carried to England, Germany, and France, and became almost universal. It, it became almost universal in the time of Charlemagne. It was the standard rule in the West by the year 1000. Casual Students, Roman numeral 3, Evaluation of Monasticism. Casual students of church history often dismiss the work of the monk as a little value or evidence a hostility that does not take into account the contribution made by the monk in his own day, a contribution that still affects modern civilization. The local monastery often served as the medieval equivalent of a modern experimental farm in demonstrating better methods of agriculture. The monks cleared the forests, drained the marshes, made roads, and improved seeds and breeds of livestock. Nearby farmers often emulated the better techniques that they they saw the monks using. Monasteries helped to keep scholarship alive during the Dark Ages between 500 and 1000. 
When urban life was disrupted as the barbarians took over the Roman Empire, monastery schools provided education on the lower levels for those nearby who desired to learn. Monks busied themselves copying precious manuscripts, which were thus preserved for posterity. In the middle of the 6th century, Cassiodorus, 478-573, to a high government official under the Ostrogoths, retired from government service to devote himself to the task of collecting, translating, and copying patristic and classical literature. He was aided in this task by the monks of a monastery that he founded. The Book of Kells, a lovely illuminated manuscript of the Gospels in Latin, done about the 7th century by Irish monks, is an example of the beauty of the monk's work. Monks, such as Beatty, Einhard, and Matthew Paris wrote historical records which are primary sources of information concerning the historic history of the period. Monks, particularly from Britain, became the missionaries of the medieval church. They went out as fearless soldiers of the cross to found new monasteries, and these became centers from which whole tribes were won to Christianity. Columba, a monk from Ireland, won the Scots, and one of his followers, Aidan, won the people of Northern Ireland, northern England. Unfortunately, much of their missionary work was marred by their mass methods of conversion. If a ruler accepted Christianity, he and his people were baptized whether or not they fully understood the meaning of the act or the implications of Christianity for their lives. The monasteries provided a refuge for the outcast of society who were in need of help. Those in need of hospitalization would usually find loving care in the monastery. The weary traveler could be sure of food and bed in the hospice of the, of the monastery. Those who tired of the worldliness of their day could find in the monastery a refuge from the cares of life. Some of the best leaders of the medieval church, such as Gregory, Gregory VII, came from monasteries. But there is also a, ditch, a debit sheet that must be considered in any evaluation of early medieval monasticism. Too many of the best men and women of the empire were drained off in, into drained off into monasteries, and their abilities were lost to the world, which was so badly in need of such leaders. Moreover, the celibate life kept these able men and women from marriage and rearing of able children. This led to one standard of morality for the monks, celibacy, and another for ordinary for the ordinary individual. Too often, monasticism merely pandered to spiritual pride as monks became proud of ascetic acts performed to benefit their own souls. As the monasteries became wealthy because of community, thrift thrift and ownership, laziness, avarice, and gluttony crept in. Monasticism aided in the rapid development of a hierarchical, centralized organization in the church because the monks were bound in obedience to superiors who, in turn, owed their allegiance to the pope. We can, but we can but deplore these tendencies, while at the same time we admire the fine contributions that the monks made to medieval life.